Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. I'm broadcasting live from the conference room at ProPublica in New York City. Absolutely extraordinary organization that is doing some of the best investigative reporting going on in the country. It just blows my mind. They've got a great app, by the way. A lot going on. The blue wave continues. We just picked up another seat in New Mexico. It's amazing to me how the press is minimizing this. This Democratic victory is as substantial as anything that we've seen in the last couple of decades. I mean, it's right in that zone. The fact that we didn't take the Senate is, I mean, we took four governorships. We took a significant majority in the House where, you know, the numbers are still being sorted out. And I, I wanted to share with you an idea for a frame for all this, to understand what's going on. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. There's a piece over on The Guardian by Rebecca Solnit, and it's titled, The American Civil War Didn't End and Trump is a Confederate President. And you, you read that and you go, what, really? But, you know, think about this. The Confederacy was founded on the idea of white male supremacy. I mean, an ob- overtly, explicitly, the law at that time did not allow women access to, well, to anything. Now, it was largely true in the North as well, although, you know, this varied from state to state. But uh, women were not allowed to own property. They couldn't make a will. If their husband died, they lost control of their children, including who took them, how they were raised, what religion. If they were black women, they were bought and sold. If they were white women, it was, you know, not that bad, but it, it could be very, very bad. And the Confederates hated Jews. They hated Catholics. It just goes on and on. And she lays this whole thing out that this is all about white male supremacy. And you think about that. You know, I mean, this is you know, this is Stephen Miller's thing, right? The pathetic incel who is basically running Trump's immigration policy out of the White House. You know, oh, we don't want people in this country who have a, you know, who are not Caucasian, basically, you know, whether it's Hispanics or Asians or obviously people from Africa. And it seems to me that this meme is actually solid. You know, when Germany was defeated in World War II and the Nazi state, which had begun in Bavaria, at that time, Germany was, you know, the states were very, very prominent and had a lot more power than they do now in the federal Germany. And the Nazi movement began in Bavaria around Munich and, and then spread, you know, across Germany. 
they didn't have a civil war because there wasn't any particular state that was strong enough to fight back because they were a federal system at that point in time, slightly different than today. I mean, they rewrote the Constitution after World War II. But basically, they've denazified Germany. Now, the right is coming back, and the, the alternative for Deutschland party, AFD, is, is growing, and it's a, it's a right-wing party, but it's not yet explicitly Nazi. And if you look at what South Africa did, they had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission after apartheid because, you know, the Confederate states were enforcing apartheid. There's no other way to describe it. They had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and they said, okay, that's it. No more apartheid. It's done. Whereas here in the United States, after the Civil War, after the white male supremacy of the South was defeated in battle, you know, as soon as Lincoln was assassinated, Andrew Johnson became president. Well, that was the beginning of the end of Reconstruction. I mean, it took about a decade, but, but that, was, that was it. And now we've got statues to Confederate generals all over the country. We've got streets named after Robert E. Lee everywhere. <laughs> Stanley McChrystal, General McChrystal, just wrote a really compelling op-ed recently about how he had taken down his, he had this picture of Robert E. Lee uh, hanging, I, I don't recall if it was his home or his office, and he took it down and said, you know, there's no place for this. You know, there's just no place for it. So she makes the point in the article, if you're white, the Civil War ended in 1865. But if you're black, it really never ended. And, you know, we're going to be talking with Greg Pallas a little later on in the program about just that, you know, that it really didn't end. I mean, here, Brian Kemp now suppressing the black vote. And you're going to, you know, hear this. We've got a clip. Greg's got a little video clip he's going to share with us. Brian Klemp is declaring victory in Georgia, but Stacey Abrams is saying, hey, wait on, wait a minute. Every vote should be counted. Every vote should be counted. Now, other stuff in the news, other things that are going on, we've got a new mass shooting, this one in California. 11 people are dead, including a police officer. There were five off-duty police officers, maybe six. The numbers are still, you know, they're still figuring it all out. But there were a bunch of uh, off-duty police officers who were in the restaurant. We don't know if any of them were armed, but apparently the chaos was so great. I mean, it's just like when Gabby Giffords was shot, there were two people in that crowd who had guns in addition to the shooter. There were two people who had guns, and they both had legal carry permits, and neither one of them could get a shot at the shooter. The shooter in the Gabby Giffords case, who had just murdered a, what, a seven- or nine-year-old girl plus, you know, a half a dozen other people and shot Gabby Giffords in the head, that shooter got tackled when he was replacing the clip in his pistol. And by the way, the, the shooter in California using a pistol, his was a 45. 45s are really big bullets. They do a mind-boggling amount of damage compared to 9-millimeter bullets, which are, you know, much smaller. And you do a lot of damage, but they don't just, like, you know, blow you up. And it's probably the reason why this was so deadly. I mean, 45s have an incredible kick. And this guy apparently had a 30-round clip in his gun, which brings me back to, you know, you've heard my riff that for gun control in the United States, it's very simple. Number one, we start treating guns like cars, you know, registration, license, and insurance. And number two, we take all the weapons of war off the streets. And I would argue that semi-automatic weapons are weapons of war. You don't need a semi-automatic weapon to hunt. In fact, it's considered unsportsmanlike in many regards. You don't need a semi-automatic weapon to do target practice. You don't need a semi-automatic weapon for skeet shooting. I've done a lot of skeet shooting in my life. In fact, you never use a semi-automatic weapon for that. I mean, come on. 
So is this going to reignite the gun debate? The fact of the matter is that we are four or five percent of the world's population and we have 50% of the world's guns in civilian hands. And the one thing we know that can absolutely, you can do this on a state-by-state -state basis, or you can do this by looking all over the world. The more guns there are in civilian hands, the more frequently you have homicides, suicides, and in the case of the United States, mass shootings. So you gotta do something about that as well. Jim Acosta, the young woman, an intern for the White House, was trying to grab the microphone out of his hand, and he pushed down his other hand to basically block her hand from grabbing the microphone. If you look at it in real time, it was not a big deal. It was not even, uh, you know, it wasn't a push or a shove or whatever. But either Infowars or the White House, and it looks like it was Infowars, Alex Jones, uh, took this video, sped it up sped up Jim Acosta, they held his hand in one spot for three frames, and then they moved his hand down faster, so it looks like he's doing like a karate chop on her arm. And this is what Sarah Huckabee Sanders is sending out to justify banning Jim Acosta from the White House. Twitter is not having it. Social media is not having it, especially Twitter. This is just so wrong. The editorial in the New York Times today from the editorial board let Jim Acosta do his excuse me, do his job, was the headline. This, oh, and, and by the way, have you noticed? Remember Ebola? Remember Chris Christie and Ebola and all the hysteria around Ebola? And the coverage of that Ebola scare ended on election day in 2014. It literally ended. There was no more coverage of the Ebola scare. None. That was 2014. In 2016, it was all about Anthony Weiner's laptop. Oh my God, Hillary Clinton's emails are on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Blah, 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 blah. Turns out it was a non-story as Comey ultimately came out and admitted. Uh, I mean, a big non-story. But when did the coverage of that stop? The day after the election in 2016. Literally, that was the, that it just, you, you look at the stories, you, you look at the, uh, you know, you do a Nexus Lexus search and, and look for that. It literally stopped the day after the election. And here we are, what, two days after the election? Have you heard anything about the migrant caravan? Anything? Yeah, Trump threw a few bones about it in yesterday's press conference, but any hysterical coverage? Is Fox News still doing 24-7? Here they come, look out. The Army has said that the Operation Patriot Protection, they're not even going to call it that anymore. I think the Army is going to be pulling back from the border. In other words, Donald Trump used our troops as props for political purposes. And, and the one thing that's in common with all three of these is the idea that either we should be very, very afraid or that somebody in the Democratic Party is up to no good. Be very afraid of Ebola. Hillary Clinton and Anthony Weiner are up to no good. Be very afraid of the migrants. This is what the Democrats have to sell. And why is this what the Democrats have to sell? Because they have nothing else. Congressman Pocan was talking about the lame duck session and how worried the Democrats are about what's going to happen over the next two months. 
because the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the White House, and the Supreme Court. And they continue to control them until January, whatever the day is, that I guess Congress gets sworn in in the first week of January, whatever the first business day of January is, that's when it's all going to change. But for the next two months, roughly, what are they going to do? The Senate Majority Leader coming right out and saying, right up front, top of our priority list, entitlements. Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, they're going to do everything they can to take an ax to those programs. This is beyond the pale. Imagine the panic that swept over this dad. He was working late when he got an alert on his smartphone. His Blink motion-activated security camera picked up something. He opens the Blink app and views a video clip of a man peering through his kitchen window. He calls 911 and alerts his wife. Preventing situations like this is what Blink is all about. The point of having a home security system is to help alert you before some creep breaks into your home, not after. Blink motion-activated HD cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on batteries that last up to two years. And Blink's live feed option lets you monitor what's happening at home anytime, anywhere from your smartphone. No contracts, no subscriptions, and Blink even works with Alexa. Here's the deal. Get your Blink camera system starting at less than $100. No contracts or subscriptions. Visit BlinkProtect.com Tom, T-H-O-M, for details. BlinkProtect.com Tom, T-H-O-M. BlinkProtect.com Tom. Blink is an Amazon company. Tom Harmon here with you. On the line with us is Bob Nay, the author of Sideswipes. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. Hey, Bob. Hello, Tom. How are you? I am great, but I'll get better. I'm broadcasting live from New York City today and going to see uh, Adam McKay's new movie tonight. I'm looking forward to it. So what's in the news? Well, uh, I was on your show Monday. I was pretty close on my numbers, I think. I had the Senate mm-hmm. 53 to 47 and the House at 228 to 207. The numbers are still coming in. Kind of a victory for both parties of sense, right? Uh, Senate mm-hmm. for the Republicans, but a, even a, a smaller margin than some people thought. I still think uh, if handled correctly, then it will be a fairly good year you know, for the Democratic side. And again, it's going to be some minefields out there. All of D.C. is talking about it today. Who does what? Who chairs what? You know, the normal political buzz and the phones are ringing off the hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, people trying to jockey for positions. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, what's the old saying? Uh, uh, D.C. is Hollywood for ugly people. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's like, you you know, want a friend, get a dog. It's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and um, that too. Yeah, the, right. those those two cliches seem operational. Right. Now, the other one, you know, uh, I, I headlined this thing when I put out, not a shocker, Sessions is out. Of course, he said, you know, here, the president made me resign. Um, I don't know why he stayed anyway. Who would stay with your boss beating you up every month for a couple of years? But he did. Um, obviously, the maneuvers... Uh, that occurred after that, because, uh, you know, they could take, as you know, Rod Rosenstein. He's been absolutely approved anyway, because they approved two slots when they do this in case the AG steps down, but he bypassed that. Obviously, he's going for Matt Whitaker, and I know you know all the quotes on Whitaker uh, that he has said out there about mm-hmm. indicting Hillary and Donald Trump Jr., and okay to have the meeting in the Trump Tower, you know, um, he was called the eyes and ears of the Department of Justice by John Kelly, so he's in that position. And although he is temporary, and although he may not be able to do certain things, 
in that temporary slot, he can do certain things, budget-wise, internal con- control of issues. You know, so there are some things it, he can do. Whitaker, any sense of what he's going to do? I mean, he's talked about in the past on television, he's talked about defunding Mueller as a way of stopping the investigation. He's now in charge of Mueller's budget. Sure. And again, he may not legally be able to terminate him, but there's a hundred ways you know, to skin a cat, and he can surely squeeze the money. Uh, he can you know, control a lot of internal operations. He wasn't put there by accident. The number two guy wasn't bypassed by accident. Because on the heels of this, as we're speaking today, right now, they are preparing, the White House uh, are preparing answers for Mueller of questions that he's asked on the Russian investigation. And one of them that's coming in is the question about what happens to Roger Stone, who is a longtime Trump advisor. Of course, he's been at the center of all of this you know, whirlwind of activity. And about a month ago, Mueller asked Trump's lawyers to produce all the logins, the call and visitors logs relating to Stone from Trump Tower in New York. And so they're asking Trump to, you know, define his version of that. Now, the problem with this whole thing, all of D.C. is asking, what does Roger Stone have? You know Roger Stone, Tom. I mean, he's eccentric, uh, unpredictable, and has been known to vary from the truth on a regular basis. So I'm not sure I would want to lay a lot of credibility to Roger Stone. So what else is up, Bob? Well, um, the press conference, I, I hear your listeners talking about that. That was obviously uh, quite fascinating. You know, the praise of Nancy Pelosi by the president, which some people are saying is genuine, I'm just not so sure. Uh, the president is not one, as you know, to necessarily just cover his base to say, look, I'm trying to be nice. You know, I think he had some other motives. Uh, I don't know, in one way, um, some of my friends said, well, maybe he's trying to hurt her by endorsing her. You know, exactly. Sort. It's called damning with faint praise. Yeah, right. And so I don't know the motivations, but he kind of went, for, for at least for Trump, a little bit overboard on it. Although Trump is for Trump, and he may try to triangulate, which is our nice D.C. word for manipulate, the system and do what he can do. Uh, I think there's a two-fold path for the Democratic members of the House. One, to get down to any you know points of corruption and subpoenas, etc. And the important second path to have a goal of where they want to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like they've settled on health care, infrastructure slash jobs, yes. and corruption slash voting. Yes. And mm-hmm. potentially under that corruption rubric could even come impeachment. So I think that's a good path. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks a lot, Bob. Good talking with you. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you on the line with us is our old buddy Brian Pruitt, a contributor to Red State. People can tweet you at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T. So, Brian, as a reasonable conservative, I mean, you, you know, you and I have been talking for a lot of years and I have a lot of respect yep. for you and for your opinion, even though I disagree with many of your opinions. I'm curious your take on the current state of politics in America broadly. Sure. Well, I think uh, my number one lesson learned was nationalizing these local elections or these statewide elections does not work. 
it really doesn't work. What we found out was Beto nationalizing, throwing hundreds of millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars into a Texas Senate race was basically flushing money down the toilet for Democrats. Same thing. Oh, he came, uh, you know, he came within a quarter of a percent of winning the, the election. How is that a waste of money? I think it's a complete waste of money because what you need to find are candidates that fit the districts. For instance, let's look at if you want to talk about a race that was the big surprise, look at Georgia 6, where the Democrat Lucy McBath, who's actually a fit for the district, is beating Karen Handel with not many resources when the Democrats put millions into Ossoff during the special election and nationalized that local race. Let's revisit our definitions here then, because John Ossoff was not a progressive. He was, you know, your basic corporate Democrat, kind of a Bill Clinton Democrat. Beto O'Rourke, on the other hand, or Beto O'Rourke, was clearly an actual genuine progressive. And I think, frankly, if Texas had not thrown over a million people off the voting rolls in the last four years, so there were hundreds of thousands of provisional votes in Texas that never got counted. I think Beto would be the senator right now. Well, uh, I think we can know. agree to disagree. Okay, but, but let's define, game. but what do you mean when you say nationalize an election? I don't understand that. I mean, Beto was, he was very reluctant to do national media. Chris Matthews did a gig with him down there, but that was pretty much it. And he visited literally every congressional district in Texas. I think there's like 240 of them or something like that, or every county or whatever it is. I mean, it was just amazing. I, how is that nationalizing an election? What am I missing? I don't, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he did. I'm saying the National Democratic Party and the mainstream media nationalized these races. What does that mean? They nationalized. They made it a, basically a requirement that Democrats that had no business donating to those people that really didn't understand what a real race in a state like Texas means or a state like Georgia. People were donating and giving money and important resources to Stacey Abrams not understanding that Georgia is not the Georgia they want to be. But Stacey Abrams may well end up being governor. I mean, you know, again, if you take the voter suppression into account, Brian Kemp knocked 340,134 people off the voting rolls in the last (laughs) year who a direct mail company hired by Greg Pallas, and he got the list, by the way, from Kemp himself because of a federal lawsuit, and he handed this off to one of the three top direct mail companies in the country that literally on a day-by-day basis keep track of who lives where and said out of this almost 500,000 names that Kemp threw off the voting rolls here in Georgia in the last 12 months, how many of those people can you prove still live at their houses? And they came back with this 340,134 number. And those people, a lot of those people, you know, probably well over 100,000 of them showed up to vote and were given a provisional ballot, which has not yet been counted. And the vast majority of them, of course, they were being purged out of black and Hispanic neighborhoods, mostly black neighborhoods in, in Georgia, voted for Stacey Abrams. So it seems to me but like she did the right thing. What we're hearing now is the progressive sort of line on how to explain their defeat. Instead of celebrating their wins and trying to mimic those strategies for the next election, Democrats are busy whining about the elections. Well, let me pose a question to you, Brian. If in a democratically controlled state, if a Democratic governor or Democratic secretary of state had thrown hundreds of thousands or even millions of people off the voting rolls in the year or two leading up to their own reelection. And all of the people, or the vast majority, let's say over 60 or 70 percent, because that was the case in Georgia, the majority of those people who were thrown off the voting rolls 
perfectly legitimate voters were exclusively or largely white middle class suburban voters, how would the Republican Party respond? Right. My understanding, especially in Georgia, but I believe in all of the states that you're talking about, this process is automated. It is not Brian Kemp or the Secretary of State in Texas throwing people off. There's professionals that work in those offices that manage this process. I, you know, not I, Brian, I encourage not you, Brian, Kemp to Google interstate crosscheck because Brian Kemp actually did use the interstate crosscheck list in violation of a court order which was Chris Kobach's list of let's compare with other states things. And so, no, Brian, you're simply not correct. But you didn't answer my question. It's a hypothetical. How would the Republican Party react if they had evidence that Democrats were engaging in voter disenfranchisement of white suburban voters? I don't believe Republicans have been, you know, so there's no evidence of. But if Democrats did that to Republicans, how would they react? I have no idea. You don't think they'd burn the house down? You don't think they'd be out there, you know, uh, marching in the streets, yelling and screaming on TV every single day? They'd just raise holy hell? (laughs) I don't think there's widespread voter disenfranchisement. You and I have talked about this almost for years now. Yes. I just do not believe that's happening. There's I don't believe there's any evidence of it. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, Let's let's celebrate some good things. Like, let's celebrate some good things. Brian, Brian, when we get off the air, would you please go to Greg Palast, P-A-L-A-S-T dot com and just check that website out? He's the he's the BBC reporter who first broke this story. Let's here's some great things for you to celebrate, Tom. One, Kansas, my home state. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a conservative, but Kansas sent a openly gay LGBT woman to the House of Representatives in my lifetime. I never thought that would happen. Yes, that's a wonderful thing. Good news. They also rejected the not conservative Kobach. He's not conservative. He's toxic to conservatism. And the conservatives of Kansas rejected him outright. That's a good thing. So how is he toxic to conservatism? I mean, his whole thing was kicking people out the voting rolls. That that was his shtick. We've all talked about this. There is no such thing as voter fraud. There's no widespread voter fraud that conservatives know that. But Republicans seem not to because they're still they're still passing laws to, to stop voter fraud that doesn't exist. There's a difference between a voter ID where you just have to show your driver's license and some people that want to make it harder. I do not believe mainstream conservatives are trying to make it almost impossible though. Voter ID is fine. Proving who you are, is there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I showed D.C., Washington, D.C., which is one of the most liberal places on the planet, I showed my ID to check in yesterday. Sure. I didn't have to. It wasn't required, but I did. No, but you've got states like North Carolina where a federal judge said that they decided which IDs would be acceptable and which IDs would not be acceptable with surgical precision to disenfranchise minorities, to disenfranchise poor people who don't own cars. And that was rightly overturned. Rightly overturned. But it's happening in other states. I don't think that's including Texas the day after the election. In Texas, you cannot use a state-issued student ID, even though it's proof of residence, you can't use that to vote, but you can use a gun permit. So what am I missing here? If this is going to be the issue that Democrats 
focus on as they it's head not. into 2020. It's not. It's just you're mine. You're doomed to failure. You're doomed to failure. If this is going to be the issue, if this is the issue that everyone's yeah. going to plant their flag on. So what's the conservative issue that you think the Republican Party should be pushing? I mean, as a conservative who's not waving around the Republican flag here, Brian, where sure. do you think the Republican Party should be going? I think the new Republicans, some that are coming in, and the ones that are going to be, you know, that did get reelected, obviously, are going to have to decide whether they embrace Trumpism. This is going to be the next six months is Republicans in the House are going to have to decide whether they continue to embrace Trumpism or rediscover conservatism. It's a what's very the, simple. What's, what, give me an example of one policy that Trump proposes that that you would oppose or that you would propose that he would oppose. Small government. He's all. He's a what does that mean? Government Republican. That means taking apart the regulatory state. That means making it easier for people to file their taxes. That means so you want to make it easier for big companies to pollute? I, no, not at all. Well, that's but that's what he did with taking. I mean, the, the first piece of legislation that the Republicans passed was was to allow more coal poison to be dumped into rivers, and Trump bragged about there it. There were there were much needed reforms at the EPA. There are much needed reforms at the Interior Department. I don't believe there it. There are some... Re- They're drilling on federal land right now in areas that should be pristine wilderness. I mean, you know, Ryan Zinke has been selling this stuff off. Pennies on the dollar. It's a giveaway to the fossil fuel industry that's killing our planet. How is that a good thing? Well, I disagree with the way you're describing it about what's actually happening. But I think, I'm just telling you, we've got the Republicans and conservatives have a real come-to-Jesus moment about what the next two years is going to look like as we head into the reelect. Obviously, Trump is going to be the nominee, but mark my words. Remember, Donald Trump is not a conservative, so don't be surprised if he reaches out to Pelosi to get stuff done. Oh, of course he will. Try and, and he's not going to make Pelosi the boogeyman. He's going to make these committee chairs the boogeyman. Oh, yeah, of course. And and Mueller and everybody else. Brian Pruitt with uh, RedState.com. Brian, always interesting. Always good talking with you. Thank you for dropping by today. Hey, Tom. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. Thanks. And you can tweet Brian at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, Pruitt, P-R-U-I-T-T. I've never endorsed a weight loss product, but that was before my brilliant wife, Louise, had such a great experience with Ridgizone. So good that she shared it with my producer, Sean. Sean, in your own words, talk about what you love most about Ridgizone. I've been frustrated for years, struggling with yo-yo dieting. I was really excited when I saw the results Louise had with Ridgizone. She looks amazing. I also like the fact that Ridgizone is based on university research that found a molecule that eases appetite and cravings so you eat less. Plus, Ridgizone is an FDA-accepted product designed to boost levels of that molecule along with your metabolism so you stop craving the wrong foods and burn calories faster. I'm excited to get my appetite and cravings under control so I can lose weight before the holidays. Stay tuned. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough and you want to lose the weight you've been struggling to lose, get non-prescription Ridgizone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off plus free shipping. Go to tryriduzone.com. That's tryriduzone.com. Tryriduzone.com. Tom Hartman here with you, Congressman Pocan, co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. I'm curious your thoughts on exactly where we're at, what the meaning of this election was, and how that informs both the Congressional Progressive Caucus and the broader Democratic Party going forward. How do you expect this stuff to play out? 
Well, I think there's going to be a battle over uh, messaging in the next couple of days, uh, but I, I think a few things are, are pretty uh, strong facts that I think people have to move forward. Uh, one, um, you know, we saw a lot of folks, especially on the Democratic and Independent side, not happy with the White House and the Republicans in Congress. Therefore, we saw the House flip. Uh, we saw a lot of seats uh, pick up in areas that we weren't necessarily even thinking were the strongest areas. We saw a bunch of governorships flip uh, around the country, and that's very important for redistricting. But you saw a repudiation of Donald Trump from uh, many people. You also saw health care as a big dominant issue. At the end, I think we realized that more than anything, people are afraid they're going to lose their health care because they have a pre-existing condition. That came up over and over. Republicans were scrambling to say they supported pre-existing conditions. So uh, that became a very dominant issue. But also, I think this was an election of fresh faces. You know, when you look at some of the people that really caught the public's imagination, Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, Andrew Gillum, just as some examples, were people that you haven't seen a lot before, but people were really inspired by. And while they didn't necessarily win in their states, because some of those states were a little more difficult, and I think Georgia might still have the runoff, that was a very big factor. So I think as we look at 2020, we all should be thinking about that as we look at the presidential race. And then quite honestly, as we look at Congress moving forward, we should keep that in mind. For the Progressive Caucus specifically, we had a very good night. Of the 41 races we endorsed in, uh, 19 of our candidates won, 14 lost, and there's eight that are pending. So wow. we probably have at least a net gain of a dozen members. Uh, but some really great new dynamic members. The first couple Muslim women coming into Congress we have our first couple Native American women coming into Congress. We've got a lot of other folks that are going to be fantastic new members. Overall, it was a really, a very, very dynamic night. Wow, that's that is that is great. Denise in Chicago, you're on with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Another honor again. This is my second time chance to talk with you, Congressman, and congratulations. I was up for it all. Um, I'll keep it brief, but, you know, you're talking about some of the things that are top of mind for me, and that is, you know, I'm kind of calling the last two years Trump training camp, which is basically all the stuff that we've seen him do, we all know what he's doing, and I'm already seeing on Twitter and social media all the same stuff. Oh, my gosh, he said this. I think it's time to push that aside, take the ideas that you're expressing today, and communicate them so that we can all be strategically organized and pick up where we left off on Monday and keep going to 2020. So I'd just love to hear more about what, how we could get that together a little bit more. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Denise. So I, I guess my theory is we can walk and chew gum, right? I think we can have the oversight that we need to, and there's plenty of oversight because Congress left this uh, White House completely unchecked. We can do that, and also we can put these ideas forward, specifically around health care and prescription drug prices, around raising people's wages and investing in infrastructure, and around good government, dealing with the culture of corruption in Washington. Um, we'll also deal with things like immigration and criminal justice reform uh, and the environment, but those are the big issues that we ran on and won on in many of these districts. So let's put the ideas out there. Uh, we may not be successful in all, depending on how big our margin is. We, may, we, we don't have the Senate. We don't have the White House. But let's show people what the alternatives are. People are yearning not for the same old, same old style of politics. And we have to embrace that and move forward with some really bold ideas. And I think that's our best path forward looking at 2020. Cheryl in Mount Pulaski, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, I would like to deviate from what everybody's been saying. I know the Democrats are going to work harder and smarter, but my concern is we have to do something about ballot disenfranchisement of the brothers and sisters, not here in Illinois, but across the United States. And is there a law, or can we make a law, that says you must have paper ballots, a certain number of residents per polling places and distance, 
and machines to accommodate, no priority software that it must be able to be audited by federal auditors, and that no uh, provisional ballot must be counted unless the state official can prove that the uh, voter is disenfranchised for good reasons and the onus is on the state. So innocent until proven guilty rather than assumed guilty until you prove your innocence. Correct. Correct. Federal registration for IDs and if the person is found guilty of disenfranchising voters legally that there would be some sort of penalty for that. And I know that we have this in the Constitution that states get to regulate the elections, but is there any movement if they are federal elections only? Can we put requirements on the states that they have to abide by certain requirements that we ask for federal elections? And, and I'd add, add to that question. Thank you, Cheryl. Uh, Congressman, the 1993 Voting Registration Act explicitly says Voting is a right of all citizens in the United States, and I think that's verbatim, and it is the responsibility of federal, state, and local officials to facilitate the the free expression of that right. This has never been litigated. Uh, Nobody's ever been charged with a, quote, crime under that legislation. Might that be a wedge to use? Well, let me answer it this way to Cheryl. So when we talk about the culture of corruption in Washington, when we put that issue out there as one of the lead three issues for Democrats, it's a three-prong part. So part of it is the ethics issues with this administration. Part of it is around campaign finance, uh, disclosure, uh, around some of the dark money that gets involved. And a part of it is exactly on uh, the voting rights and the voting issues. And while we're working out every exact provision that's going to be in that, we're trying to address that so we're not doing this whack-a-mole state-by-state causing problems, making it harder for people to be able to vote, which really disenfranchises way too many. So that is exactly part of what we're going to be leading with. The exact proposals, I can't tell you this second uh, because it's been less than 24 hours, uh, but I rest assured that is something that we've said we're going to put out very early, and it will include elections, campaign finance, and ethics reform. Cool. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'd like to get your opinion on this strategy. I think the new House of Representatives should offer or or should pass a whopping, and I do mean whopping, middle class and small business tax cut that would be aimed towards paying for health care premiums, skyrocketing health care premiums. And when uh, Trump and Mitch McConnell uh, make an issue of it contributing to the debt and deficit, that's when we talk about repealing their whopping tax cut for the rich and corporations. What do you think of that? Well, Paul, I think we've already been talking about getting rid of some of their waffing tax cuts that they did, so I think that's already on the table. And I think when it comes to health care, we need to uh, shore up much of the damage that happened in the last two years to the Affordable Care Act uh, and really dig down very strong on protecting the provisions like pre-existing condition protection uh, that came with the ACA. So um, it may not be by the strategy you'd like to see it happen uh, because, um, you know, sometimes uh, if we're talking tax cuts, we're, we're talking about um, issues that we didn't talk about during the campaign. But I think you will see us very strongly looking at those tax cuts they did as pay-fors because uh, we want to invest in infrastructure. We want to expand health care and we want to do a whole lot of other measures. And that will certainly be part of the conversation. And Mike in Salem, Oregon, listening on KMUZ. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, first and foremost, it's an honor to speak with both of you, and I appreciate your service. Thank um, you, I Caleb. just wanted to raise a point that I, I, I'm guessing that I, I think, Tom, that you've already kind of lightly mentioned in the past, but I just want to bring this up. I think we need to start recognizing 
And mind you, my background is I voted Republican a lot of my life until just recently. I consider myself an independent, and now I've been voting more Democrat. Um, but that being said, I think we need to recognize that there, there really is no Republican Party anymore. It is, to me, it is a Fox News party. And Rupert Murdoch is doing this here in America. He's doing this in England. He's doing this in Australia. And I just was curious if there's something that could be done about the fact that this media outlet, this media giant, is literally influencing democracies across the world. And, I mean, I just, I mean, I'll end on this. I really think the Republican Party of today, it is not the Republican Party. It's the Fox News Party. Yeah. If I could add to that, Caleb, thank you for the call. Um, the, the Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, wrote a piece for the Sydney Morning Herald that was published a month or three ago uh, titled The Cancer That Is Destroying Australian Democracy. And the cancer that he was specifically talking about, and he went through it in great detail, was Rupert Murdoch. He owns a majority of the media outlets in Australia right now. And he owns a significant chunk of them, as our caller pointed out, in uh, the U.K. and, and now Fox News here, uh, and plus the New York Post. Congressman? Yeah, um, you know, I, I agree in many ways, Caleb. I think, you know, part of this for me is, you know, Donald Trump uh, being such a reality show star and that type of personality, you know, he's really almost, um, the Republican Party now is a cult of Donald Trump, and Fox is simply the uh, deliverer of the message, right? So they're not a, a news source, per se, but they're the, the state's mouthpiece. Uh, and Donald Trump, uh, you know, works very closely, watches them in the morning, gets uh, talking points. They uh, reverberate and put out whatever he wants to say. And we do have to deal with that. You know, we had this problem in Wisconsin for a while. We had conservative talk radio in the Milwaukee area. And it's a part of why we had some uh, really bad election cycles uh, going on. In fact, Charlie Sykes, who now is a, a talking head on MSNBC, was one of the leading, most conservative, most uh, outrageous voices uh, at the time. So we do have to deal with uh, that media aspect of it because, you know, the president purposely is saying fake news and putting out the enemy of the people and all this, so you only go to him to news. But to me, it's more like a cult of Donald Trump than a political party. Yeah. Amen. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Ah, uh, yes. Thank you for taking my call. Now that you won the House, Mr. Pokin, it's going to sound dumb. Do you have your resume uh, handy to hand out to sit on one of these committees? If you don't do that, how do you sit on these committees? And you think Eric Swalwell will be ahead of one? The way it works is usually you're on a committee. There are a few exclusive committees, for example, uh, Ways and Means, um, Appropriations, and Energy and Commerce. And then there's a lot of other authorizing committees that people have various interests in, and sometimes people will move a little bit. I've already done the moving. I'm on appropriations. There's not really anywhere else to move, but I'm on the Labor Human Services Education Subcommittee, which is the second largest pool of money after defense, but probably the most important money for Democrats. Uh, and I'm looking forward to now governing. Uh, in that regard. So um, for a lot of people, there won't maybe be a lot of movement. Uh, we've got a lot of new people coming in that will take on new assignments. We'll have additional seats on committees. I think Eric is currently on intelligence, and I believe Adam Schiff will probably remain as chair of that. But Eric will still be on the camera a lot. He's a strong spokesperson. You'll certainly hear more of him in the coming years. Yeah, and a fine thing it is. Rick, in Flint, Texas, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yes. Can the Senate still cut Medicaid, Social Security, Medicare by themselves, or are they going to need the House representatives to do it? Great question. Yeah, Rick, they do need us, but what you brought up was a really valid point. I think 
The relaxing part for me was the last two weeks of the campaign, and the heavy work starts when we get back on Tuesday. They're going to have a lame duck session that the last chance to have the House, the Senate, and the White House in alignment. And while they've wasted it for the last two years, I worry about what they're going to do. For example, uh, Homeland Security uh, funding uh, runs out in December. They could very likely try to add funding for the wall. Um, I'm still worried Paul Ryan's two goals in life are to cut taxes for rich folks. He got that done. And then to privatize Social Security and vulturize Medicare. He may still try to do that. We have got to be very vigilant and ready to be active uh, in contacting our representatives because things could move fast. And people who lost are looking for jobs. They're trying to show their prospective employers what he, they can get done for them. It's a great point. I am concerned that there could be action on those issues in the lame duck. So you think there might be some Republican legislators who are figuring that if they can throw a bone to the insurance companies and screw all the rest of us, uh, you know, by trying to privatize Social Security or voucherize Medicare, that they will have a million-dollar job waiting for them at United Healthcare. That and that Paul Ryan, this is his swan song, right? This is what he's he went to Congress for, not to help people, but to, to take care of the rich special interests. So right. I would be wary. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you're here every week. We really need to keep an eye on this. Got about 15 seconds. Thoughts for the next week? It's going to be wild and woolly. We have a leadership election on the Democratic side. We have to watch for what they're going to do in lame duck. I just want people to really be ready to be active during lame duck. Should we need to be calling people around the country to stop some really terrible things to happen while they've got one last crack at it? Yeah. Amen. Congressman Pocan, thanks so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Always great having you on. Congressman Mark Pocan, his website, pocan.house.gov, and you can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I've been using the Muse EEG neurofeedback headband. I'm not sure that's exactly what they call it, but the website is choosemuse.com. It's a little headband you put on, um, just sets over your ears, sort of like a pair of glasses, only it goes across the forehead. And it actually reads your brain waves, your EEG and feeds it back to you through a free app on your, on your smartphone into your earphones, into your, into your ears, as the sounds of weather. And as your brain gets more agitated, the weather gets louder. And as your brain gets calmer and more peaceful and more meditative, the weather gets softer and the waves get softer. And you start hearing little birds when you're having really cool brainwave activity that's associated with the way that good meditators do it. It's a meditation instruction tool. And meditation is such an incredible thing. It, it you know, helps concentration, focus, lowers blood pressure. I've been using this for about four or five months now. And I have noticed in my daily writing, because I've, I've got a 10-book contract right now, and I'm writing so much every single day. I used to, I used to sit down to write and say, okay, I'm going to write for an hour. And half of that hour was spent with distractions. I'd think of this and think of that. And, oh, I need to check my email. Oh, I got to do that. And, and I would constantly distract myself and then eventually come back to it. Since I've started using the Muse, now when these distractions pop up, just like they do in my meditation, I've learned how to, just like in my meditation, say, oh, that's a distraction. I'll let go of that. I'll come back to that later. I'm going to get back to writing. And now, instead of getting 30 minutes worth of work done in an hour of sitting and writing, I'm getting 50 or 60 minutes of work done in an hour of sitting and writing. It's really extraordinary. The, you can learn all about it at choosemuse, M-U-S-E, choosemuse.com. And if you order using the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get $30 off. So check it out. It's great. Choosemuse.com.
Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. On the line with us is our old buddy Greg Pallast. GregPallast.com, the website, and you're in Atlanta. I'm in New York. Set up this clip for us, would you? I was at the polling place with Raheem Shabazz, a voter who was on the purge list that I put up at GregPallast.com. He found out he was purged. He went with me to make sure that he got a provisional ballot at least, which he did. And as I was leaving, we found a woman in tears, two women in tears, one in a walker, 92 years old, and her granddaughter, Jessica. And Christine Ford, by the way, I was with her. I went to her home last night. She is a cousin of Martin Luther King. She voted the same place for 50 years. And she's another one purged by Brian Kemp, one of 340,134 people, which we know for darn certain have been purged illegally by Brian Kemp. By the way, now he's stepping away as Secretary of State. Well, so what? He already purged himself to what he thinks will be a victorious governorship race. Here is Christine Jordan and her granddaughter. Has this ever happened to you before? Never. How long have you been voting? Oh, my life, ever since I was old enough. But I've been voting right here, ever since 1968. Yeah. And it's just, it's horrible. And, and I say that because the West End, She's been in this community back when we could, when they were doing sit-ins. She held civil rights meetings in her home. And today to come out and not be able to vote and no one can give you an explanation, like it's extremely emotional and it bothers me. It bothers me to my core. Like there's actually no record of her whatsoever voting in any election whatsoever and it's ridiculous. So apparently, Greg, when you get purged, you literally get wiped off the off the off the list. I mean, you're just like gone. Were, Is that how like, it works? Yeah, we're, yeah. Some people were disappeared. Some people uh, we got, and I went with a, a young Latina woman. Uh, they tried to refuse her provisional ballot. They say, well, if you're not on the voter rolls, you can't get a provisional ballot. Well, that's the whole point of the provisional ballot, Mr. Kemp, is that when you wrongly purge people, people have a a fighting chance to get their ballot counted. Uh, by the way, we went back and got um, and we got the Christine Jordan, the 92-year-old woman, a provisional ballot, and she filled it out. Now I asked her whether she would go to federal court, as some of the other victims have told me they're willing to do, to go into federal court. I've already sued Brian Kemp, but they would now go into federal court to demand that their vote be counted. And she said, right. well, right. she absolutely would go to federal court as long as someone helps her walk to the courthouse because she needs help to do that. Well, I was talking with Brian Pruitt, who is a conservative. He writes for Red State. Brian's a, a, a reasonable guy. He's, he's, yep. a, he's a decent okay. guy. I, I like him as a human being. Um, and I told him about the, the voter purge, and, and his response was, well, you know, that's a normal thing. You know, you have to keep the voter rolls clean. If people move or die, you have to take their names off or you have to assign them to new districts or precincts. And, uh, you know, occasionally things fall through the cracks. But I think the argument he was making is if 340,000 people were purged in Georgia and the voter turnout was, say, half of the electorate, there should be like 150,000 provisional ballots. Um, if, if what you're saying is absolutely the case, and if what Brian is saying is absolutely the case, there should be like 10,000 provisional ballots, you know, the screw-ups. Do we have any idea what the number of provisional ballots in Georgia is? I think we're looking at about 50,000, which I'd expect because we... Okay, first of all, um, when you talk about cleaning the voter rolls, these black voters are not dirt, okay? They're not dirt. They're not garbage to be taken out and to be scrubbed off. 
Uh, second, yes, um, the National Voter Registration Act of 93 says that you're, that you're supposed to uh, maintain the roles, which is what Kemp says he was doing, to make them more accurate. Well, removing people for moving who didn't move is making them less accurate and bleaching them whiter than white. That's not list maintenance. That is choosing right. your voters. This is Instead of Jim Crow, it's Dr. James Crow, database analyst. I'm not kidding. When I put that number down, 340,134, I took Brian Kemp's purge list, which I got because I went to federal court to get it out of his hands. If it was honest, he'd be turning over these public documents. That's why the court said he had to give them to me, because they're public. So we can review it. And we did. We went to the experts, and we took the names he said had moved, and our experts said, we can verify absolutely, because unlike Brian Kemp, we actually went to the Georgia DMV. We went to the Georgia tax files. We went to the to Georgia Power. We went through all those databases and to confirm that these people had never moved anywhere, 340,134. And I went to the polls with, with a bunch of them. One of the tricks when your friend says, well, they'd be getting provisional ballots, not according to Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp put out the word that if someone's not on the voter rolls, they don't get a provisional ballot. So you can't even complain. So he's wrong about that because, look, Kemp has figured out this crime down to the last details that make sure that they don't get the provisional ballot at all. So they, they try to take away Martin Luther King's cousin's vote, and they try to stop her from getting the provisional ballot. We had a fight to get it. I went with this Latina woman, um, Ashley Jones. You'll see her at gregpalace.com today. We'll put up the film of her trying to vote and them trying to deny her that provisional ballot only because I came in and said, hey, federal law and several cameras watching you. Um, our legal team has been calling counties. The, the white county supervisors are saying, we're only giving provisional ballots to people who deserve it. Well, what's the color of the people who deserve provisional ballots? So basically, the only provisionals that they're trying to hand out are those if there's a question over your ID, because you didn't bring one of the goofy IDs they require, or there's a signature match issue. But all these people who were purged, they're trying to deny them not only the right to vote, but the right to cast that provisional ballot. So that's why we're seeing, instead of 100,000 provisional ballots, we may only see 50,000. Plus, the counties are not reporting the total numbers of provisional ballots. They're only reporting the numbers that they are accepting into the tally, which is very few. So we're not even getting the full count. In fact, we're going to have to go to court again just to get the full count of how many provisional ballots were cast. And, of course, the big problem is that Kemp said, don't hand out provisional ballots. So I think most of the people purged who show up, if they show up, remember, you don't get a voting card, you don't know where you're supposed to be, etc., um, are not even getting those ballots. Because, you know, they don't have Greg Palace or lawyers or um, cameras with them to get the ballot that they're supposed to get. Wow. Wow. So it's entirely possible that 150,000 people showed up and 100,000 of them were turned away or they just didn't know where to go, whatever. And and that could account for why there's 50. The best guess is 50,000 provisional ballots. My, my so, Greg, we just have a minute left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brian Kemp has declared victory. What's the status with Stacey Abrams? What's going on? Okay, Stacey Abrams saying let's count the votes. We have only four out of 159 counties that certified their count, and they're minuscule. And uh, she's saying count all the votes, count all the absentee ballots. Though again, Kemp is playing his games with the ballots. A young voter I know in Savannah, her absentee ballot was not counted. That's my daughter, okay? And believe me, I went over her ballot very carefully to make sure it was uh, completely accurate and countable. 
there, so there you go. Because they know. Why was your daughter's ballot not counted? Was it because, because she forgot to put her a middle matter. initial in her signature? Uh, they're not giving us any. That's the other problem. I'm going to have to sue to find that out. I mean, the, the problem is they know. Cause that it's because she's in a largely Democratic town because she's not she's black. Totally, yeah. She's a totally Democratic town. That's the other thing. They're going after the Savannah, Athens, Atlanta. Uh, you cast votes there. They just don't want you to cast votes. Gwinnett County. Yeah, yep. yeah, I got it. Greg Palace, keep up the great work, my friend. Good talking with you, Greg. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks so much for your support for the Tom Hartman program. We deliver our program, of course, to commercial stations, which is how we pay our bills uh, through the revenue from running advertising. And you can learn more about those at our website at TomHartman.com. But we also share our program with non-commercial outlets from Free Speech TV to Pacifica stations all over the country. And because with the Pacifica radio stations, there's basically no revenue coming in. The way that we support our nonprofit outreach is in large part through Patreon. And, you know, over Patreon, people who support our program at patreon.com slash Tom Hartman, um, people who support our program there get, you know, special little clips and there's a few other goodies, uh, behind the scenes kind of stuff. But that's principally, if you want to support the Tom Hartman program, um, that's the way to do it is to get over to patreon.com slash Tom Hartman and check out what we're doing and support our program. Thank you. John in Sand Ridge, Tennessee. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, got so many things to talk about. Uh, you, you touched on topic about the absolute this deluge of advertising and every format, print, TV, on your wireless devices, and outright mm -hmm. ignorance. I think is the way that Tennessee's staying blood red. I think you're right. What What do you think about, you know, in the in the first hour of the program, I posited the theory that what we're seeing in the United States right now in the Trump presidency is the first Confederate president uh, of the United States, that this is the Confederacy, that it's all about white supremacy. It's all about the suppression, oh, not just uh, of black people, yes, but people uh, of color, that, Jews, that's how he everybody. Gets the non-rich, that's how, I think that's, and my, my thought is that that's how he gets the non-wealthy. That's how they're getting the non-wealthy. That's one of the, the means there and the religious hypocrisy, the combination of outright hatred and religious hypocrisy is how they get the people who have no business voting Republican to vote Republican. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, uh, this, is, this is what's going on. John, thanks a lot for the call. It's great to hear from you. I, you know, my argument, by the way, on on the uh, on the Confederacy, you know, in uh, into the Guardian right now. I'm not sure if it's still on the on the home page, but uh, it was on the, on the on my app uh, this morning. Rebecca Solnit wrote this piece called "The American Civil War Didn't End and Trump Is a Confederate President," and uh, the, you know, it's been 150. This is the 158th year of the American Civil War, according to her. And the, she says the, the Confederacy battles on in favor of uncontrolled guns and poisons, toxins in our streams, mercury from coal plants, carbon emissions of the upper atmosphere, oil exploitation in previously protected waters. Its victims include black people, of course, but also immigrants, Jews, Muslims, Latinos, trans people, gay people, and women who want to exercise jurisdiction over their bodies. And that, you know, the premise, she says, 
is that the, the rights of white men should never be limited. And she, she quotes Paulo Free, uh, Ferrer, the Brazilian philosopher, who said that the oppressors are afraid of losing the freedom to oppress. And, you know, I think that that's very much what's going on here. And we're, we're now looking basically, I mean, we've got Confederate statues all over the country. We are now 21 months into an openly Confederate presidency holding Confederate values, white male supremacy, patriarchy, the oppression of women, the, the absolute subjugation, subjugation of, of people of color, the whole spectrum of people of color. And uh, it, it, it all goes back to this antebellum notion about white male supremacy. And, you know, make America great again. I, you know, I used to joke that, you know, what he really meant was make America white again. And, you know, I mean, when he first started, when he was campaigning back in 2016, uh, he was saying make America great again. And I was saying, you know, really what he's saying is make America white again. Well, little did we know. I mean, you know, he's governing that way. I mean, this is absolutely what's going on. And so, anyhow, last night I got off the plane here in New York City around midnight and I pulled up the news and I was reading about what Whitaker said and I saw a little bit of the clip of when he said it, that, you know, we could just defund the special prosecutor. And I thought, I should start a GoFundMe page for Mueller. What held me back was, number one, I don't make decisions when I've had a couple of glasses of wine. Number two, <laughs> which I've learned through, through uh, you know, uh, long and difficult experience, and number two, I don't know if it's legal. And number three, we don't know if it's yet necessary. But I suspect that if Whitaker takes that tact, that we're simply going, that he's going to simply going to defund the Mueller investigation. You know, these guys are probably burning through about a million dollars a month. Would be my guess. I mean, just looking at what Ken Starr spent investigating uh, Bill Clinton in two and a half years, he spent seventy-four million dollars, and so, or maybe it was three and a half years. Could we raise that kind of money? I think so. I mean, you know, Beto O'Rourke raised, what, $70 million? Bernie raised $200 million? I mean, it certainly should be possible. Jeff in McHenry, Illinois. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind? Yes, I think that with the control of the House of Representatives, the leadership of the Democratic Party has to restore regular order and multitask. They have to have committee hearings on good bills, but bring in all the people who haven't had a voice in legislation. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 